you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Hey guys, thanks for joining me once again at the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. You know, I'm really fortunate. I get to speak to some pretty dynamic people in the restaurant industry, and today's episode is no exception. I'm speaking with Mr. Robert Maynard, and he is the CEO of a 26-unit breakfast and lunch chain called Famous Toastery. Now, they've been hit pretty hard by the pandemic, just like all of us have, but their strategy has followed a shrink model in order to grow stronger in the future. So today we're going to be talking all about the challenges this, that they faced during the pandemic, how they've actually closed locations in order to open new ones in the future, their franchise model, why now might be a really good time for you to think about franchising, and all the ins and outs that come along with that. And it can be fairly complicated, but Robert sort of demystifies the process and tells us a bunch about you know, what their experiences have been which is definitely food for thought, and also how you can reopen your stores and staffing up again after you've had to close, as well as you know instilling consumer confidence back to your customer and using technology to increase safety, increase confidence, and convenience for the customer. We cover a lot of bases today, so stay with us, and I look forward to bringing you this episode. Thanks. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and during COVID-19 especially, these are relevant topics that help restaurants rock their profits, build their brands, deliver amazing guest service experiences, and of course, keep their customers safe. With me today, Mr. Robert Maynard. He is the CEO of a company called Famous Toastery, and it's a 26-unit breakfast, lunch, and brunch franchise operation. Welcome to the show, Robert. How are you today? Yeah, Roger. Thank you. I'm uh I'm fantastic. I can't complain. Well, I'm really glad to hear you, you know, to have you here on the show because, again, having 26 units in the operation, you're not a small uh, company by any means. And obviously, with the different stores and different locations, a lot of the challenges have been the same. Some of these challenges have been different. We're going to try and cover all that, you know, the hiring, the firing. You know, you are a franchise company. I also want to get into why you think it's a great idea to continue to offer that franchise opportunity. Sure. So why don't we begin? I always like to ask my guests about their backstory in hospitality and how they got into this business, how long you've been at it. Did you start off in high school working for a restaurant? Like, where did it all begin for you, Robert? Well, it's, it's an interesting question because I'm not the your quintessential restaurant guy. So I worked in the restaurant business. I worked in bartending, waited some tables. It was never really a main thing for me. How this all started was a good friend of mine, Brian Burchell, who is now my partner in all this. He ran a lot of great restaurants in New York City, some popular ones over the years, and um, always wanted to do something together. I was in banking at the time and real estate development. And he uh, said to me as he was living in Charlotte, say, hey, I'm going to open a restaurant can you help me? Can you invest with me? And I said, what you should say was absolutely not. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. I don't need to, to um, go down that road. So he was smart. He sent me um, a round trip ticket, a car to rent and a place at the Marriott, uh, the Fairfield Marriott. And three days later, we had an offer on a, um, an existing restaurant. 
So it took 72 hours to basically be in the restaurant business. Awesome. <laughs> so it's really, um, it, yeah, I, I tell that story. Sometimes people are like that, that true. I'm like, yeah, that was true. I mean, you know, he's, he, he, he sucked me right in, but, um, it, you know, it, it held experience ever since. <laughs> I often say, be careful for what you wish for. It might come true. And it sounds like it did, but you've done a lot of great things since. And before the challenge hit, you know, you built a thriving company and we're going to get into where you're at now. But I, I love hearing that story because, you know, this, this is an industry, I don't need to tell you this or the audience, but it is based on a true passion. And I'm sure that over the years you've developed that passion and now your company has grown and you're sharing that passion with new potential operators. Of course, right. um, it is an opportunity still. The Only the strong will survive this thing. Obviously, we're trying to give people best practices advice on how to not just survive this, but how to come out the other side much stronger than they were before. So resilience comes into play here and creativity and opportunity and having a vision. And you clearly have all those things. So, we're, you know, we're going to get into that. But before we do, let me ask you, does your company have any company-owned stores or are they all franchised? How does this work? Yeah, we have um, a bunch of company stores, a bunch of franchise stores, mostly franchise. I think as we sit right now, nine corporate stores, the rest franchise. And we actually have more stores opening. We opened up a store last uh, two weeks ago and a store last week. And we have another store opening in October. These are all brand new. So unbelievable. Um, you know, we, we we see the we see the upside, but um, we also have franchise locations and some stores opening on that side as well. So when these stores were planning to open, was this all pre-COVID? Like all this happened like six months ago and then all of a sudden, okay, it's too late to turn back. We're committed. And now we have a plan to somehow make it work during the most challenging time in restaurant history. Would you say that's yeah, we true? Had a, we had an interesting experience. So yeah, they was, these were all pre-planned. I wouldn't be uh, telling lots of brands to go out there and open a bunch of new stores right now, but we had them in play. And we were committed to them. And we really, we truly believe that going forward will be more than okay. And I think we'll thrive. And you have to pick a side here, right? At the end of right. the day, mm -hmm. restaurants are tough, right? You, you, you got a, um, a small window of opportunity um, to make these things work. And you also have very limited, um, you have very limited amounts of, you know, you're you're freezing on my side. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on here. Oh, I'm freezing on your side. Yeah. You're, you're I gotta see. Let me, let me check to see if because I I I actually hooked this thing up even to Ethernet too to make sure I wouldn't have any problems. Let me see. If, go. Yeah. So opening a restaurant right now for all this is probably not the best uh, decision if one can make. But we were already down the road. We were committed to the to the projects. We loved where we were going. And the people wanted us there. And what we were surprised about was how busy everything was. And it was, I think that, you know, it's what we all talk about in the restaurant business. I mean, everything about life is based on food and beverage. The people wanted that connection. And so many people came out to support us and come every day. And just the, the excitement of a new restaurant was huge. So what we noticed was it actually wasn't so bad opening up. And we're very excited about another, another one we're going to open up in, uh, in, in October. So um, there's been, you know, there's been, it's been a rough time, but you're also trying to find uh, find those little nuggets that make things, um, you know, make things really possible and, and, um, and exciting. And we did see that. 
Now, I was on your website earlier, and I was checking it out, and I, first of all, I love your website. I think it's great, and it's very informative. It gives you, the, especially the video, gives you a really great sort of a feel for the restaurant and the experience that you're going to have before you, um, you know, enjoy the experience. But obviously, that's shifted, too. But you look, these look like large operations. I mean, how many seats are in a typical famous toastery? We try to get about 100, but we have some, we have a couple that have uh, as low as 70. I think our lowest is 79. I see. We have some that are, that are up to 150. We've changed that. We changed that before COVID. We've been trying to get smaller and smaller, just more intimate, being able to be able to stand there and see the whole floor and see if there's anything going on. So we've been shrinking, but we do have some pretty large spots, which come in real handy Saturday, Sunday. Right, right. When you have to distance people. Yeah. And especially now, you're seeing a huge you're seeing a huge upside of having something big because you're not losing that many seats. Right. That's that is definitely an advantage when you've got a smaller place and you can only distance people. I mean, restaurants are finding it super hard to survive that with limited seating and limited revenues and all of that. Right. Let me ask you, let's just go back to say March first forward. What did you anticipate? And how did you react to the crisis when you first started seeing stuff hitting the fan? And where did you go? And what were your first steps? And how did you communicate this to all the stores? And what really was your strategy? Well, we, you know, I was kind of, a, I wouldn't say ahead of it, but I was following this. I just follow international news a lot. So I kind of saw what was going on. Yeah. You saw what was going on in California. And we were bracing. We were already having daily meetings and saying, look, something's going down. This isn't going to be a one-stop shop and it's going to be over something's up so we started just having meetings saying what are we going to do how are we going to deal with cleanliness how let's look at what's going on in california let's look at what's going on in china so and then when it happened we were a lot more prepared than i think we would have thought because we were one of the first groups to come out and say here's our plan of how we're keeping you safe i would probably say the day we shut down we were like here's our plan because we're already working on it yeah right? So we were, that was a good thing. You know, we, we had all the equipment. We had, the, we had all the, the, the hand stuff and the face stuff, and we were ready. But nobody was ready for what was to come after. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Did you close down at all at any period of time, or did you just stay open throughout and just shift the way the operation, you know, worked? Most stores stayed open. They Every, did. There was only a couple, which really, it really came down to uh, staff, right? Okay. You can only staff yeah. so much, especially on right, the corporate right. side. Um, and then, you know, had a one franchisee that had a lot of had of issues health-wise. So we did, you know, you don't want to put people in a, you, you got to give everybody the choice. We didn't make anybody do anything, right? right. Um, and, and more importantly, from a franchisee perspective, we didn't, we didn't even charge royalties. We just forgave royalties for 10 weeks. And then did half for a long time, which was tough, right? More than get, it was tough. Wow. It was, we realized that it wasn't the norm. Yes. We didn't want to be with the norm. We, I said, well, if I'm a franchisee, what do I expect from a franchisor? You know, because the model we've had is you have to embrace the punch in the face. Because this was not like just a bad week or, you know, bad day or a bad month. This was a 90% down for a significant amount of time because we're in casual dining. Yes. So casual dining took a, you know, especially breakfast. So we were in casual dining and breakfast. So that day part got, got pretty smashed. So we just, you know, you, we did the best we could with what we had. We really, we rolled out online ordering in four days. 
four days. It was unbelievable. You know, all the, the going back and forth with, with everyone. And then, you know, after this happens, like, boom, we'll make a decision. Yeah. And it's rolled out, which was huge. We, um, then also did all the, the, you know, the, the DoorDash and whatnot. But we also started doing our own delivery because we were starting to see that this is going to be a trend. We got to start getting in on our own delivery, what you consider first party delivery. Because eventually, when you start giving five, ten, twenty thousand to these guys, right. they've been a good backstop. So people can't get mad at them, right? They 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 provided a service that worked, right place, right time. But you now need to use that that coveted word that we all use these days. You got to start pivoting out of that a little bit because you can't run a business that's already down a significant amount of money and then giving away a lot of money. Right. right? A lot of margins <laughs> are lost for sure. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, um, in terms of the strategy for the franchisees and what the government requirements or, you know, your state legislation that came down, I mean, did they immediately say you have to limit seating to so many and was that cut in half? Did your revenues plunge significantly and have they recovered? Where are you at with all that? Well, there's a lot in that question. Um, I know, yeah. They... um, they were, I wouldn't say plunge. Plunge would be a nice word, right? The sales, mm. they were oblivious. I mean, it was just, you know, you went down 90% those first, yeah. you know, when it first happened because you went from uh, dine-in to no dine-in, right? right. Only do takeout. We're not a takeout right. company. We're, we, you know, who wants, uh, who wants scrambled eggs or a, you know, sunny, uh, over easy egg to go? It's not, not the norm, but we do have a lot of other stuff. We have breakfast sandwiches and whatnot, which shifted a bit. Um, but you, you, we had 50% occupancy when you first opened, but you just had to make do. It's like, again, you know, we've been living by, you know, everything doesn't happen for a reason, but those who survive, survive for a reason because you had to do things that you had to dig so deep. This is not, this pandemic, what has happened is not for the weak of heart. If you're in business right now and you're in the wrong business, this is a tough place to be. And you've got to dig and then when you're done digging, you got to get the shovel again and dig a little more because there's always a new challenge, right? You got the landlord challenge, you got the bank challenge, you got franchises being frustrated challenge, and the list goes on and on. And then of course there's COVID, and then who's getting it? Who's getting tested? You know, there's. It was almost like you are uh, just taking shots from all um, avenues, and you had to just take a deep breath, write them all down, and take them as they come. Seems to me you were in a coaching role with your franchisees in terms of you know their their leases and that sort of thing and negotiating and how are we going to oh, survive yeah. this thing and everyone was in somewhat of a similar boat. Some people are in a different boat, and it's like okay, here's steps A, B, C, and D. And if you're going to make it, you've got to do all this. I mean, did you help these people strategize their next moves? Sure, we were very, very clear on and and feeding a lot of information about what's going on from a government perspective, what the seating is going to look like, what the social distance is going to look like, what is going to be, what it's going to look like from the outside looking in, from the customer side, right. what's it going to look like from the inside out, meaning are you keeping you you creating a good safe work environment, are they wearing masks, they have gloves, because there's a lot of perception too. I mean, some people believe in it, some people don't believe in it. That's the, the, the point of debate was not to have as you're trying to survive. Whether you believed or you didn't believe in wearing a mask or what's going on, it didn't matter. You needed to get over it, 
get on board with what needs to happen so people can come in your restaurant and people can go, people can work in your restaurant. But the biggest, I would say the biggest hurdle and the, and the, the amount of time that's been spent the most has been with landlords. That has probably been the, the, the banks were good. You know, people who had bank loans or obviously SBA, you know, um, paid for six months, which ends in October, which is going to be an interesting month for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but landlords were, there was nobody that was the same. Some landlords were great. Some landlords were okay. And some landlords were absolute dirtbags, right? It really ran the gamut. So you had a, it was, you know, I, I kind of look at it as the way we, way my life was for a very long period of time. And even till today was you put your mouthpiece in, you put your gloves on and you go to war every day until you can get what you need. Because some people start to shift and you're like, look, Mr. Landlord, we're down 35%. My, my rent factor now is 21%. Would you ever rent to me if my rent factor was going to be, if my pro forma showed a 25% rent factor, are you going to rent to me? No, we need to work on this. But you have to be willing to keep digging and you have to be willing to get in the weeds and you have to be willing to say, you know, maybe one, two or 60 different curse words to get the deal done. Because it got really intense. Because, you know, look, they have problems too. You can't just say, oh, landlords are a bunch of whatever. I'm a landlord myself. I had to deal with it. So understanding all sides and being able to put all sides together was kind of the puzzle and the piece that uh, is not easy. You know, it's definitely not easy. But um, we were able to step in for franchisees that that it's not their wheelhouse, meaning they're not dealing with this stuff. It's not what they do. They're serving. They're taking care of their customers. They're taking care of their employees. We had to be the the kind of the um, Marines to go in and and go to war with everyone. Um, And a a lot, I mean, look, a lot of it was okay. A lot of it worked out. Some of it didn't. Some people have been very tough and, you know, just don't, they don't care if you're down 300%. Give me my money. Right. So you have to work with that too. And they obviously had to, shrink their menu, shrink their staff to some extent, and all those things had to happen. So I called that street fighting. It's like what you just said about putting the gloves on. Every day is a new challenge. There's a hundred details you have to deal with due to this pandemic. And it's like, okay, what are the priorities and what do we really have to do? And let's talk about profitability because we certainly don't want to be selling things that aren't the most profitable items to sell. That's a whole menu engineering thing. I believe, and I don't want to speak for you, but it sounds to me like, you know, your franchisees are locked into a certain menu to represent the brand. Is that not correct? That's correct. And what we did is, A, we did limit the menu. We, yeah. so we, made, it, we made it for not just profitability, but also for execution. The idea between, call it March and today, or whatever, it was to survive. I mean, did you really think you're going to go and start banking hundreds of thousands of dollars? No. The idea is to survive and thrive, right? Put yourself in a position to get past it, get through it, be able to pay your bills, keep some, keep some key employees, and keep moving on. So not only did we minimize the, the menu, we also gave franchises a little more latitude between what times they open. Um, when they can, um, when they can close, some places have um, people that were in office jobs, ten thousand office jobs around them. That now there's not one job around them, so they had different flows, right? Oh, so we had a, every store had a store. You couldn't be the, you couldn't be the hardcore franchisors that this is the way. You had to get into the weeds with every single person and find out what their needs were. 
Because if somebody was in, was in a downtown location, there's no one in downtown right now or any downtown. So you had to be more flexible. Um, so everyone had their own need and, every, and we had to be flexible with that need and be cognizant of that, even going into a meeting with a franchisee and with the franchisees in general. Because you need, this was not anyone who, who took the role of I'm the franchisor, you do as I say. In six months or a year, the franchisees will remember, you know, and this is about relationship. This is about it creating is. value and franchisees pay a royalty. They got to get something for that royalty. It's not about take, 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 right? You've got to be providing a lot of support and not just in the obvious. And I think that's what gets lost in franchising because franchising is hard. Restaurants are hard, but when you do them right and they work, they're amazing. That's usually where it comes down to. Let's talk about communication with the customer in all the stores and it's a twofold thing because you want to obviously regain trust when consumer confidence was at an all-time low you want people to come back into your units you want people to trust that you're taking all the necessary precautions to keep them safe you want your staff to know that you're doing everything you can to keep the staff safe so you're balancing that part of the equation you know, and then you also want to get that repeat business so that they had a good experience. You want to get the online reviews going so that you're letting people know if there's anything that, you know, didn't meet your expectations, please let us know. And if you enjoyed your experience, please leave us an online review. You know, we, we certainly appreciate that. So there's this marketing communication piece that's still such a big part of it. Um, do you have anything to add there, like some special things that your stores might be doing or any success stories, you know, in that communication piece with the customer that's all important right now? That's a really good question. I think the communication was huge. Getting people to feel comfortable to come back in was big. So one of the things that we talked about when people walk in the stores, we basically told them what we were doing, physically told them what we were doing, which is different than just posting it on the signs because everyone has a, a sign that's posted. We wanted everybody to feel comfortable. So we were saying, this is what we do. We wipe the doors down after someone goes to the bathroom. We wipe, the, we wipe, the, we wipe your whole table down. And we, we ordered, to kind of go back to, to Rewind, we ordered uh, paper menus like March 18th. We had paper menus. Now, it went to you know, dine-in only, I mean, dine-out only. Right. But we were trying to make it so that you had contactless payment, contactless menu, we were, we were doing this a long time ago before it became the norm because all we kept talking about is how can we make people feel safer to come in once they were able to come in, right? Because that's the conversation that you see around is, is it safe to go to a restaurant? The problem is also from the, politi you know, from the political side, you know, for a long time they were saying restaurants aren't safe. Well, I would say the second, the second most safe place in America next to a hospital is a restaurant. Because the amount of stuff that we do, the amount of money we spend per restaurant to keep people safe or clean, what we do now is insane. You know, so we're spending thousands of dollars more a month than we normally have. You know, you get your gloves, but gloves are more, sanitizers more, spray is more, masks, et cetera, right? Um, so to answer your question directly, we were expressing that when people came to the tables. We were expressing that when people called on the phone. We were also to, to make an online order and we had it all over social media. I mean, so did a lot of people, but we wanted to show it like what people looked like, what it was going to look like when you walked in, 
that we were social distancing all the all the the tables and the chairs and cleaning everything down. And I think that just came down to straight up execution, right? And you couldn't be worried as as, as crazy as it may sound. You couldn't be worried about your profitability. Again, you had to be worried about survival. Because there's no way anyone's going to be profitable when you're down 50%. I mean, it's just basic math. If the average restaurant in America does 5%, and you're amazing and you do 15, but you're down 35, uh, you know, it's, yeah. you don't need a lot of, you don't need a very big calculator for that one. Damage control, <laughs> I'd call it. <laughs> well, it's damage control and also building confidence within the community, right? So, you know, you find in, at one point you found that there was some restaurants that were wearing masks, some were, were not, some that had gloves, some were not. Again, it didn't matter what one's beliefs were politically, whether they liked it, whether they didn't like it, whether they, whatever. We had to have the, we had to be able to say <clears throat> how we would protect our um, employees, how do we protect the customer and the franchisees, period. And if it meant you're going to spend a little bit more money on more cleaning stuff, so be it. But that was, that's what people remember tomorrow. Like you got to plan today for tomorrow. You can't plan today for today because if you have just today's goals in mind, when this is a little bit past this, and I can't say the word over because who knows what that looks like. People yes. will remember what you did. Franchisees will remember what you did. Customers will remember what you did. This is the time to think about tomorrow. You, you know, you're going to wish you did today what you should have done today a year ago. This is the time that you have to think about tomorrow. So that's how we've approached everything. What is this going to look like? How do we have goodwill? How do we have great service? How do we tell the right story? Whether it's, it's through social media, whether it's through in our store. It was, you know, these, most people, you know, they, 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 they canceled marketing. We did not cancel marketing. We kept doing what we needed to do. We really ramped up PR, um, and it worked. You know, we've we, we you know it being in the wrong business technically. You know, casual dining, breakfast. We've done we've done very well. We're very happy where we are. Love to be at one hundred percent capacity at every place, but we've been very lucky. Um, but we also put the work in. You know, and it was hard. And it was you know. People talk about they work from home. I mean, we've been working day and night since March. There is no Monday, Sunday, Tuesday. It doesn't matter what day it is. It's all the same day because it's a lot of planning, a lot of work. I get the sense from just my research and, and in talking to you and, and how you approach this business that service has always been paramount as an operating philosophy, something you pass on to your franchise stores, the importance of you know, superior customer service. And you have a mantra or a tagline on your website, every server is your server. I mean, I love that. I totally, you know, had that philosophy when I ran restaurants for years and years as well. Has that um, ramped up any since the pandemic has happened? And is there, during the time when you were just doing the takeout, before you could actually get people in the stores again, customers in the stores, did you have to do any other sort of special spin to make sure that every service experience was exemplary just to make sure that that repeat business happened? And now things are going back to the way they used to be to, uh, you know, a limited extent, certainly, but you know where I'm going with that. I'm, I'm curious to hear about your training philosophies, you know, your practices, your procedures, and 
you know, what the training might be like on a day or weekly basis in the restaurants to make sure that we're touching every customer in a personal way, making friends, building relationships, as you said, because that's what this business is about. That is such a key component in running a, you know, a super successful restaurant operation. The service is, you know, is right at the top. Well, execution is the name of the game. If you have okay food, but you execute like no other, people come, right? If you treat them like gold, people come. If you thank them for being there, people come, right? You have to put that first. Every server, your server basically means everybody who's standing up in the restaurant works for everybody that's sitting down. Can I have some coffee? No, let me get your server. It doesn't work with us, right? It not only does it, that one component create a team effort, it self-mitigates. Like if you have five people working uh, as a server and there's one that's, that's not pulling their weight, you don't have to worry about the manager getting at them. They're, they're, if they're pulling their tips, they'll let you know, right? So it, it really helps miti- mitigate, you know, when you have people that are not at 100%. But a good, key question you asked is how did it change when you, when you went down to dine, you know, take out? And the key thing that we, we, we pushed everybody is to thank them, look them in the eye and thank them for their business. Thank them for ordering. Because a lot of people were ordering to support local and a lot of people ordering because they needed to, you know, needed to eat and who they trusted. But a lot of people were freaked out to walk, to walk in anywhere that wasn't their own home. And you couldn't blame them with all the rhetoric that goes on in all these different you know, channels of, of news. So it was connecting with every single person one by one. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for your business. We'll hope to see you again. And you looked him in the eye, you tell him. It's not just like, you, you, here you go, have a nice day. You really had to connect. And you really had to you know, let them know we're there for you and we see that you're there for us. You don't say that, but it's the tone. It's the looking somebody in the eye and it's caring that they took the time to order from that restaurant. And I think that all makes the difference. It's all the little things that add up to, to, to the sum of something very large. And if you don't think that way, if it's all about me, 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 how do I survive? Everything's terrible. My life's crazy. This sucks. That's what you get, right? You have to, even though some of that was true, you had to shift and had to remember why you're doing this. It's for the customer. Yes, you want to make money. Yes, you need to serve great food. You have to have great execution. But at the end of the day, if you don't have customers, nothing matters. And you had to let them know that not only did you care, but you had to find a different way to create every service your server. That's what that's what makes us different. That our service is so good that when you just take out, how do you do that? And that was one of the ways we we connected that. Yeah, I'm really glad you clarified that because you know when I ran these restaurants so many years ago, my my mantra was every table is your table, and it was the very same philosophy where if you were a front of house person, you didn't have a section. It's like if you noticed uh, someone dropped a fork on the floor or they needed something, if you happened to see that. We all backed each other up and, you know, nobody had a section at that point. It's like everyone jumped in to please the customer. You know, they didn't have to wait for anything because we anticipated needs before we were asked. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Tell me what person wants to hear, let me get your server. Let me get your waiter. Nobody wants to hear that. They're like, look, I'm eating my food. Give me some more coffee. They're not, it's not their job to figure it out. So you have to figure it out for them. And that's how we came up with that, you know, even that, that tagline. 
Let's shift gears and talk about the franchise operation. Why do you believe this is a really great time to look into the famous toastery franchise opportunity? Well, now more than ever, we've, you know, you've had no choice but to rethink everything you do. Everything from menu to what kind of person you, you want to hire, cross-training, smaller unit, um, you know, then pushing into profitability and how you make that work in the right lease. We have something that works. We've been, we've been doing this, we didn't mention, since 2005, right? So we didn't expand until, until uh, 2014. We've been doing this a pretty long time. We know what works. We know what doesn't work. We've had all different types of real estate. We've had different types of franchisees. We've had great stores, good stores, bad stores. We've had it all, right? It's like, it's almost, you have no choice but to pass that on at this point. Like, we just know too much, right? And the system is so much more um, in lockstep. And through this system, through the COVID piece, you learn a lot about, you know, you learn a lot about yourself, but you learn a lot about your business and your franchisees. And you're always talking about, hey, how can, how can we do something better? And you, you, we have a whole list of like things on a, on a, on a wall that says what we, can, what we can do better. The thing is we want to pass that on to people, right? This is an interesting time. You know, with the peak of this whole thing, 40 million people got let go and furloughed. So altogether about 40 million. Back in 2008, the most amount of people that lost their jobs, which still was a lot, was 10 million. So in the matter of three weeks, 40 million people got let go. It's pretty crazy. There's also now another 20-something million people looking for jobs, looking for the next career, looking for something to do. Absolutely. That's where we come in, right? We, we, we are a no, we've never been a group that ever did lead generation. We never went, went out looking for franchisees. Now we're at a point where we want to start talking to more and more people. Because um, we have something really special to offer, right? It's not something we just started. It's kind of cool. Let's make a lot of money doing it. Franchising is tough. It's hard. So is running corporate stores. So we're in. We are in the, the the weeds with everyone. So we have a bunch of corporate stores. I know what it feels like when maybe you didn't. You had a really really bad day, or it was too busy. You didn't have enough staff, or no one came. You know, there's always something in the restaurant business, right? Um, we're side by side with franchisees. We're not just selling a franchise. We're also running stores. So we can test everything. We can do everything first. If we want to do new menu items, we put it out to all, all corporates. We want to try a new way of doing something. We don't go to the franchisees to do this. We say, we'll test it first. So we have some proof of concept with it. And, you know, breakfast, lunch, brunch is a, is a, growing, it's a growing piece of the, the, um, the food industry. Right now, it's taken a bit of a, a, bit of a hit which we see as a big positive going forward. Because when things do open back up, this is, the, this is the time of day that's going to boom. I mean, people aren't dropping their kids off for soccer. They're not having the meeting with the attorney. They're not doing a closing at our restaurant. They're not, they're not really doing anything in the morning. Eventually, they will. And if you count out casual dining and, and these, like everyone's, you know, pizza's killing it. Wings are killing it, and God bless them. It's, I mean, you hope somebody can kill it right now, right? Eventually, the tides turn, and things will have some normalcy. And people, the main thing about what drives our business to be so good is it's 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. By 3.30, you're home. You're with the family. You're with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your kids. A lot of people don't want to be working until 11, 12, 2 o'clock in the morning. And we, we solved that problem. 
we solve a lot of problems. We solve landlords' problems because we take up we take up a lot of parking when most people are closed. We have um, a really, really, really good business model. It's something that's we have a lot of. Uh, one of the things that we do probably better than anybody is our food is made fresh that day for that day. We roast our own turkey. We 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 do our own potatoes. We make our own uh, corned beef hash. We have our own gluten-free pancake mix. I mean, it's we make all this stuff, right? It's made every day. So it's a, there's a lot going on with what we do, right? And we have a lot to offer, and we think that that's you know um, something that we want. We, we feel is a special thing that we've created that we like to share with others. You already mentioned that, obviously, with uh, you know the upheaval in this industry, there's lots of good people on the street that are looking for a new opportunity. Maybe it's a chef that worked for someone else forever, and they always wanted to put their name on the door. Well, not their name on the door, but you know, put their own stamp on what they're doing and have a little bit more control. Maybe it's a really solid GM who's been in this his entire career. And he doesn't want to work for someone else. So what are the criteria that Famous Toastery looks for in a prospective new franchisee? The, the first and foremost, it may sound a little cliche, is the passion to serve, mm-hmm. right? But also to know that you don't just open a restaurant and it's successful by osmosis. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. So you've got to be willing to put the time, the effort, and know that it's going to take time to really get going. We, what we've experienced in the past is people think that this is easy. Restaurants are hard, right? Not to say any business is easier, but restaurants got a lot of tentacles. There's a lot of things going on inside of a restaurant, a lot of things to manage where, you know, especially a concept that does an omelet in a pan every time it's ordered. We don't just put it on the, on the flat top. It's a lot of work that goes into it. We want them to understand what that looks like. So now what we do is before people even sign in a franchise agreement, we, we have them work in the kitchen on a Saturday and a Sunday at a busy place because that's, that's the proof of the pudding. That's, the, that's what you see. That's when you have an hour away, a full kitchen, and craziness, right? And that's what we want. We want people to experience it before they actually experienced it. Um, and we go through pretty big lengths to do that. We don't sell these, right? We always tell people, we tell everybody it's, it's a risky business. Odds are low. You're, you know, um, you can always do something else. Why do you want to do it? Like really tell, tell us why you want to do it because, you know, we do it every day. We know what it's going to take, right? This is assuming someone doesn't have an enormous amount of um, restaurant experience. Someone that has a lot of restaurant experience, depending on where they were, did they pay bills? Did they ever have their own money in? Life is very different when payroll is due and you're short 500 bucks. You don't just tell the boss because you're now the boss, right? So it's educating what it's all going to look like, right? And being very upfront with, you know, being your own boss, running your own business also comes with the, the other side of it, which is an enormous amount of responsibility to the, to the patrons, to uh, your staff, to yourself, to your family, it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's not for the weak of heart. Doing any business is not easy. Whenever you're not getting a guaranteed something, there's a lot more stress, a lot more risk, you know, and that's the way some people like to live. I mean, you know, I wouldn't do anything different. I, I, I even COVID, right. You, cause you had no choice if you were smart enough to say, okay, what can I learn from this? You really start to see some people are built for certain things. Some people are not, right. This is, how, this is the time 
to start a business. This is the time to find second gen space. The guy was paying 45 bucks a square foot. Now you can get for $22 a square foot. Or I think $29 a square foot. Things have changed. This is the time, right? This is the time to do stuff. Well, you've got the attention and the intrigue of our audience, Robert. Can you tell us uh, how we can explore your franchise opportunity further? Is there a specific URL or is, it, uh, is there a button on your website right now that if you're interested in this franchise, what the opportunities are so they can explore it further? Sure. You go to famoustoastery.com or ownatoastery.com and it will give you some basic information on that. And also um, just filling out a, a form. It will tell you, uh, will prompt you to fill out a form and somebody will get back to you and talk about what that potential looks like. Well, that's fantastic. Robert, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. We covered all the ins and outs of what your company has done during the COVID, you know, the best practices that you've followed, you know, all the challenges and the pitfalls that you and your stores have come across and how you've overcome them. And then we've also talked about uh, an opportunity for the future. So thank you so much. Thank you, man. I really appreciate your time and what you do as well. Well, audience, check out famoustoastery.com. Get some more information if you're interested. That was another episode of the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we will see you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Guys, I told you that was going to be a dynamic episode. And of course, Robert Maynard brought us a lot of nuggets of information, what it's like to be the CEO of a fast-growing, fast-moving enterprise, and the lessons that we can apply to our own operation, whether it's a single unit, whether it is a franchise, or whether we've got three to five locations that are independent. We learned a lot today. So thanks for tuning in. You know, it's all about systems. I say that all the time, but it really is. The key to your future, the key to dialing in your operation and giving you peace of mind and training your staff to have your back and to dial in your critical numbers so that you understand your profits on a day-to-day basis and your daily break-even. All those things are super important, as well as marketing and affinity. We've got all of those turnkey systems available at restaurantrockstars.com. So head on over and check it out. We really appreciate you listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. See you next time. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Roger Bodwin.